Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Website is www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, today we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Luke. We are ready for chapter 22 this morning. A little bit longer than some of the other chapters. We're looking at around 71 verses. This is dealing, and we're going to read some commentary also from Matthew Henry. Uh, But this is dealing with uh, basically the arrest of Jesus and that Passover night uh, with his disciples. And, you know, sometimes we, with these stories, we've kind of, we kind of gloss over them. And uh, our minds and our hearts aren't really open to receive anything new or to, or to have a fresh look at it because we've just heard the story over and over and over, right? So what I'd like to encourage everybody this morning to do is just to kind of open up your hearts, open up your minds, and uh, see if there's anything that God might show you this morning as we study His Word. You know, before we get started, I just want to say I'm very, very grateful uh, for all of you, for your prayers, for your support, uh, for just, uh, and I'm just very thankful for this opportunity and this privilege to record this podcast week after week uh, since 2014. Um, never dreamt that this is what I would do for the kingdom of God, and um, I'm just very thankful to to be able to participate. Uh, and, and what God is doing and in sharing his word and you guys help make that possible and so I'm very very grateful and very thankful for all of you uh, so thank you and uh, Lord willing I'll be doing this for many years yet to come and if not then not uh, but it's been a it's been a great uh, opportunity for me and I'm very very blessed to do it okay we're gonna read from the King James Bible Let's look at chapter 22, the gospel according to Luke. Verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the twelve. Please note, I always find it interesting, and I don't have any uh, useful commentary to give you on this, but I just always found it interesting, this idea that Satan entered into Judas. Well, I don't know if that's symbolic, metaphoric, uh, but it's interesting. It's something to, to definitely chew on. And he went his way, and he communed with the chief priests and the captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and he sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. You see, what's going on here is they need to arrest Jesus in the quiet, in the darkness. Because if they try to do it in a multitude, it's going to backfire on them. You see, the evil, these evil people, and just like, and it's no different today, They like to do things at night while everyone else is asleep. Do things in the shadows because they're just wicked and filthy. And they can't do it out in the light, right? Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread. 
when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went, and they found he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. It's interesting to note that Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples and then talked about celebrating it in the future when the kingdom came, right? You know, I always make a big deal out of Passover, out of the Feast of Passover, uh, Pasach, when it rolls around. And uh, because I think that's the holiday that we should be celebrating at that time. Um, instead of Easter. Not that I make a big deal about it, um, but I just feel like it's lost on the church. Passover, Jesus was the Passover lamb. You know, that's why I wrote that little tiny booklet last year and we'll probably write another one or just update it for 2021 when we do our Passover study. But it's just important. I think it's something that we will do in the future. Uh, as Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to take part in this again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom, right? Meaning that there is coming a time when he's going to take part of it, take part in it again. And that's a good time to do communion and to break bread and remember Christ's body broken for us and to, you know, to drink the wine and remember uh, Christ's blood shed for us, right? Let's continue on. Verse 19. And he took bread and he gave thanks and break it. And he gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth that is as it is determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, let doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you, as he that serve. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, 
you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen my brethren. That's a, that'd be a scary word, right? Hey, Satan's asking for you by name. Specifically asking to bring trials and trouble into your life. You know, Job is the ultimate example of that very thing happening. In the book of Job, right? Satan becomes comes before God and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And, and Satan says, I mean, does he honor you for no reason? You've built this great hedge about him and given him everything there is to give him. Uh, tear down that hedge and watch him curse your name, right? And then Job goes through this series of terrible trials. This is similar to what's happening here. Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, Satan is coming before us, coming before me, coming before my father and asking for you by name. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail and in fact that you will be stronger on the other side. And when you are stronger, I need you to take care of my people. He, that's what he says, right? Strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, Nothing. He's reminded them, You remember that time that I sent you out to make converts? And I said, don't take anything with you, no money, no nothing. Did you lack anything during that time? And the answer is no, they did not. He's saying, okay, you've got to trust me, right? Then he said unto them, but now, he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. What's going on here? Okay, so in one phrase he's saying, hey, remember when I sent you out without a purse and without a script? Did you lack anything? They were like, no. And he's like, okay, well, now's the time to make sure you have a purse. Make sure you have a script. If you don't have a sword, sell your garment and get one. What's he saying? He's saying the circumstances for them are about to change. Things are about to get difficult. And they need to be prepared for those things to happen. I'm going to read just a short commentary about that from Matthew Henry just to give us an even deeper thought process about this. If you don't mind, I just feel led to read that this morning. So here's what Matthew Henry says about that little verse, that section of verses that I just read to you. He says, he says this, He gives them notice of a very great change of their circumstances now approaching. For he that was their master was now entering upon his sufferings, which he had often foretold, now that which is written must be fulfilled in me, and this among the rest. He was numbered among the transgressors. He must suffer and die a malefactor, and in company with some of the vilest of malefactors. This is that which is yet to be accomplished after all the rest, 
and then the things concerning me, the things written concerning me, will have an end. Then I shall say it is finished. Note, it may be the comfort of suffering Christians, as it was a suffering Christ, that their sufferings were foretold and determined in the councils of heaven and will shortly, shortly determine in the joys of heaven. They were written concerning them, and they will have an end, and will end well, everlastingly well. They must therefore expect troubles, and must not think now to have such an easy and comfortable life as they had had. No, the scene will alter. They must now in some degree suffer with the Master, and when He is gone they must expect to suffer like Him. The servant is not better than his Lord. They must not now expect that their friends would be so kind and generous to them as they had been, and therefore he that has a purse let him take it. For he may have occasion for it, and for all the good husbandry he can use. They must now expect that their enemies be more fierce upon them than they had been. And they would need magazines, and as well as stores. He that hath no sword wherewith to defend himself against robbers and assassins will find a great want of it, and will be ready to wish, some time or other, that he had sold his garment and bought one. This is intended only to show that the times would be very perilous, so that no man would think himself safe if he had not a sword by his side. But the sword of the Spirit is the sword which the disciples of Christ must furnish themselves with. Christ having suffered for us, we must arm ourselves with the same mind, arm ourselves with an expectation of trouble, that it may not be a surprise unto us, and with a holy resignation to the will of God in it. That there may be no opposition in us in it. And then we are better prepared than if we had sold a coat to buy a sword. The disciples hereupon inquire what strength they had. Actually, I'm going to skip that part because we haven't read that part out of the gospel here. But he's pointing out things are about to get more difficult. Right? So that would not be a surprise unto him. And the scriptures tell us this. Do not do not be surprised. You know, Peter tells us in his epistle, don't be surprised when these troubling times come upon you as if something strange has happened, right? Look, if you follow Christ, you're going to run into these things. Right? Of course, they don't teach that a lot in many lukewarm churches around the world. They don't teach that the cost to follow Christ that there is a that there even is a cost but there is let's continue but now he that hath the purse let him take it and likewise his scrip and he that hath no sword let him sell his garment and buy one for i say unto you that this that this that is written must be accomplished in me and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end and they said lord behold there are two swords and he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out, and he went as he, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about at a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, 
strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he was come to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now I write about that in my devotional extensively. The End of Days, a 30-day devotional. This is actually one of my favorite chapters in there. Is talking about how if you take your eyes off of Christ and you kind of fall asleep, you now become more susceptible to sin. You're more likely to get caught off guard and to fall into temptation. That's what Jesus, I believe, is saying here. Watch. Watch. Pay attention. If you don't, you're going to fall into temptation. Right? Verse 47. And while he yet spake, Behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they were which about him saw him, what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest, and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. You see, when Jesus was talking about the sword, he wasn't talking about using violence, right? And in fact, by the way, I'm a proponent of self-protection. I think that that is a God-given right. And we see the examples of that, like in the book of Exodus, or in Leviticus as an example, where it says if a robber breaks into the house at night, I'm paraphrasing, and the robber dies as a result of that, the blood is on the robber, right? Not the homeowner. The whole point is that in this scenario, Jesus is just talking about how the circumstances were going to get hard. And in fact, when the when G, when Peter draws his sword in the other gospel accounts and cuts off the guy's ear, he Jesus rebukes him and, and says, you know, if you try to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, right? That's not to say that that you're not allowed to use self-defense. Um, I think Jesus is dealing with the fact that, hey, this is God's will. And you can't live and die by by this. That will get you nowhere. And so, anyway, that's for another day. Uh, but in this account, um, Jesus just says, Suffer you thus far. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priest and the captains of the temple and the elders, which were come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of truth this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean, and Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spoke, the cock crew. 
And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, man, that must have been awful, right? You know, when Peter said earlier that night that he was going to follow Jesus anywhere and he's willing to die for him, he meant that. I mean, we see him drawing his sword and attacking when they come to arrest Jesus, right? Peter was ready to defend him with his life. So let's give Peter a little bit of credit here. You know, and in that moment, he's got his sword drawn. He's swinging it. He's trying to defend the Lord with his own life. So he meant what he said. He wasn't just like trying to be macho. Peter, I believe, really believed that. It goes on that Peter follows them even after they've arrested him, right? Like Peter's trying to stick by, but then he runs into a weakness, a moment of weakness and temptation that the Lord prophesied in advance. And he's asked three times and all three times he says, I don't know him. And then the cock crows. And it's just so crazy that part where the Lord turns and looks at Peter. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine, put yourself in Peter's sandals, right? The Lord told you hours before that you were going to die him three times, and you're like, that's ridiculous. I'm going to die for you. You just drew your sword, and you cut off a dude's ear an hour or two before this event. Then the very thing that was prophesied happens. You hear the rooster crow, and then the Lord looks at you. Understand the grief that Peter must have had in that moment. The disappointment in himself knowing that he had betrayed his Lord in that moment anyway. Not, not like Judas' betrayal, but you know what I mean. Verse 62 says, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Verse 63, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? These people are devils. Verse 65. That was my commentary, not the word of God, by the way. And many other things blasphemous spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Are thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the, of the power of God. Then they said, Then said they all, Are thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. That, my friends, is the end of chapter 22 and the end of our study this morning. I pray that you've been given something to think about. That there's been some kind of stirring in your heart this morning. I pray that this work is causing you to draw ever, ever more closely to God. That it's piercing your hearts. Giving you a desire and a hunger for righteousness and holiness and for Jesus. And less of a desire for this world that does nothing but lie and disappoint and deceive. I pray you all have a blessed weekend. Again, thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers.
peace and grace be upon you all. And until next time, God bless. <laughs>